Revelation chapter 2, and we'll read verses 8 through 11 for our text this morning. Take our title from verse 11. Revelation chapter 2, verses 8 through 11. You might recognize, of course, second, third chapter of Revelation is the Lord's letters to the churches of Asia. And in this one, this is the second church, and it is to the church of Smyrna. Revelation 2, 8, and unto the church, angel of the church in Smyrna, write, These things saith the first and the last which was dead and is alive. I know thy works in tribulation and poverty, but thou art rich. And I know the blasphemy of them which say they are Jews and are not, but are the synagogue of Satan. Fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil hath cast some of you into prison, that you may be tried, and ye shall have tribulation ten days. Be faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. He that overcometh shall not be hurt of the second death. And our title is those last two words in verse 11, the second death. The Bible, I believe, above all other books and things, is a book of the greatest ironies that we are aware of. Ironies are very strange things in the way that they compare one with another. But I don't think there are any greater ironies that we run into in life, at least I have not, than those that are in the Bible. And we've pointed out a few things to you before in what I'm fixing to say, that is, as you begin the Bible and end the Bible, there's some outstanding ironies. We've actually preached on some of those before. But in the Bible's beginning, what do we see? We see a brand new creation, don't we? And yet the Bible ends with a new heaven and a new earth, another new creation. And I think the message that I have preached on in the past is that in the beginning you see a paradise, and in the end, you see a paradise. But we're going to look at the second death, which when you look at the beginning again in Genesis chapter 2, there is the warning about death if there is sin and disobedience. When he told Adam and Eve about the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that of every other tree of the garden they could eat, but if they ate of that tree, they would surely die. So where was, first of all, the warning about death? And of course, as we say that, our minds run wild sometimes and thinking, well, what did Adam and Eve know about death? There was no such thing. It did not exist. As far as experience or knowledge, uh, they had never seen it, never experienced it, but it was a warning of something that would come to pass. And then, of course, we see the fulfillment of that when they did sin and disobey God. Now, the life's greatest realities revolve around life and death. And in the end of the Bible, in Revelation, we again see death mentioned. Uh, speaks, and we'll read a scripture in a minute that speaks of those things, but it is called the second death. Obviously, there was a first death, 
about what happened in Genesis, Revelation, in closing, speaks of a second death, our subject. But going back to everything that happens in between there, uh, again, the greatest realities in life, I think, that any human being ever faces is birth and death. Uh, you know, everything else is just a dash between the dates. But those are very real realities, are they not? I mean, is there any more absolute realities than being born and existence and then that existence ending in what we know of as death? Now, it's very ironic, following the trend of ironies here, that those two things being the greatest realities in life, that as sinners and human beings, we tend to celebrate one of them over and over again, and for the most part, ignore the other one. We celebrate birthdays, and a lot of people, uh, you know, care for them a lot more than other people do, but... Uh, the day of one's birth is celebrated not only at birth but in the following years and yet the sure reality of one day not having another birthday but dying for the most part people don't want to think of that and ignore it so that's a great irony the way people did deal with those two great realities however believers in Christ deal with death in a totally different way. A totally different way. And I would say to you that only a believer in Christ can embrace fully and totally the reality of death. Most ignore death because of the fear that surrounds death. And ignorance, and I don't I say that ignorance without knowledge of what death is, of what death embraces, and what is after death. So there's a great fear there. But the believer in Christ can embrace it because that fear is removed by our Lord and Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. It is removed in the sense of the analogy that Paul gives in 1 Corinthians 15, O death, where is thy sting? The death will remain esteemed to the person who has no hope in Christ. But to we who believe and hope in Christ, the sting has been removed. The sting of death being the fear and all the dread and things associated with it. So the believer has a totally different perspective of death than we did when we were lost and than those who are lost today. Because as Paul said to the Thessalonians, those who are lost are ignorant about death. Remember he told them, I would not have you be ignorant, brethren, concerning those which are asleep or the people who have died, as others which have no hope. Not to have Christ is to have no hope and to live in the fear of death. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5 some things that really say what I'm trying to say. That is about the believer being able to embrace the realities of death without fear. And in fact, in some ways, in anticipation of that very thing. Now, we are not fanatics as Christians because we are not looking to die 
We are not hastening death in that regard. That's not what we're talking about. But we're talking about being prepared, having a sure hope, and therefore no fear. And he conveys this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 at verse 6. And I like the way this verse begins. Note it. If you're a believer, you should be able to say the same thing. Therefore, we are always confident, knowing that whilst we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. Okay, that's the fact. We here this morning are alive in the body. Nobody out there that I can see is dead. So as surely as we are here and alive in this building, we are absent from the Lord's presence. That is being where He is, right? For we walk by faith, not by sight. Verse 8, we are confident, I say, using that words again, and when, I, when I'm, he's using the word confident, he's saying the same thing I said when I said a sure hope, a confident hope, not a wishy-washy. We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. That's what death is to the believer. It is simply to vacate this tabernacle of clay and enter into the presence of the Lord. It's that simple. Now, we wish all persons who have not that hope could have that hope in peace and could understand that verse. But you'll have to have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ who came forth from the dead to have that peace and to have that hope. So we can embrace that. That to be absent from the body is to be present from the Lord. Because of a fear of death, people come up with all kinds of ridiculous ideas about what happens when one dies, don't they? One of the most common is you just cease to exist. You're just, you're just like a bug, like a plant, like any living organism. You just cease to exist and deteriorate and are absorbed back into the environment from which you came. In other words, there's no life after death. Like the Sadducees, there's no resurrection, so to speak. In that. Others want to believe in something, therefore they believe that you can exist in some mystical state. You can be some, some kind of energy absorbed back into the universe that may or may not reveal itself in some other form, such as those who believe in reincarnation. And so there's all kinds of crazy things. But the Bible tells us the truth about death from the words of the Son of God Himself, the Lord Jesus Christ. In Philippians chapter 1, we read these words of Paul, chapter 1 and verse 23, where he says, I am in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better, nevertheless to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. And any of us who are Christians and have any age and experience in this world probably can say that same thing to some degree. Because life, the struggles, the sufferings, the problems, all of those things wear on us over time, don't they? And you hear many older Christians say, I'm just weary. I'm just weary. We feel that from time to time. Knowing that 
to leave this life is going to be far better than anything and everything we have experienced in this life. Yet we have attachments in this life, don't we? There are people we love, whether immediate family members or the people of God. It's going to be tough, that separation will. It'll be tough for us, tough for them, depending on who goes first. But at the same time, to be with Christ is far better. But it's a simple fact. We're kind of, as he would say, torn between the two. And then we have the words of Solomon, Ecclesiastes 7 and 1, which I'm sure every unbeliever thinks is just absolutely ridiculous, where he says that the day of one's death is the better than the day of one's birth. You want to look at that with me? I didn't quote the whole thing, but I will read it for you. Ecclesiastes 7 and 1, a good name is better than precious ointment, and the day of death than the day of one's birth. It's better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting, for that is the end of all men, and the living will lay it to his heart. Now, again, we don't spend all our time as Christians living and waiting and sitting around to die, do we? No, we're to be active in the Lord's work. But again, we do not have the fear of death that we had as unbelievers because our hope rests in Christ and we know that immediately upon leaving this life, we enter into the presence of the Lord. So, putting that all together, what Solomon said is absolutely true. When a child comes into the world, when we came into the world, we had our whole life before us which as sinners is a life of misery, sorrow, suffering, and death, even not our own death, but the death of others that bring sorrow. All of that lays before you. When the believer ends this life, leaves this life, then all of those things are in the past. They're behind us. And so that's why the day of one death is better than the day of one's birth because all of that is finally over with, and to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So while death is a very feared thing by all of us as sinners and human beings, even believers, this old body don't want to die. It'll try to live as long as it can. But spiritually, in our inner man, we look forward to the day when the trials, troubles, problems, and hindrances of sin upon us in this world are over and we are delivered from it into the presence of our Lord and Savior. Second death. Well, let's state a few facts here about death. First of all, before we get into the second death. Death, as we said in Genesis, was a warning God gave as the punishment or effect of disobedience. God said, the day ye eat thereof, you'll surely die. We mentioned even in Sunday school this morning, Satan came along and said, you won't surely die. God said, you'll surely die. Satan said, you won't surely die. And sadly, our first parents leaned toward what Satan said rather than what God said, and they disobeyed, and the penalty was death. Now, two deaths happened. We need to realize this and make note of this. It's important to make this distinction. When Adam and Eve sinned, two deaths. There's a twofold application of death that occurred. One was immediate and one was late. The one that happened immediately was a spiritual death. 
spiritual death. The communion, fellowship, and no sin environment that existed between the Creator and the creature was marred when they sinned. And Adam and Eve died spiritually. They became sinners. And when they became sinners, this is why they realized they were naked. They were conscious now of what evil was, of what sin was, of what disobedience was, of what shame was, of what guilt was, and they ran and hid. All of that being effect of a spiritual death which immediately occurred. What are we talking about? Well, we're talking about what Ephesians talks about, that familiar scripture in chapter 2, verse 1. You hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sin. Adam and Eve were not dead in trespasses and sin originally. When they ate of the forbidden tree, they died and became dead in trespasses and sin. Cain and Abel and Seth and all the rest of their children and every child that's ever been born to mankind was born dead in trespasses and sin because that's the spiritual state of our first parent. So Ephesians 2, 1 and verse 5 also mentions that we who believe have been quickened who were dead in trespasses and sin. So it was a spiritual death. However, the physical death on Adam himself occurred 930 years later. So one was immediate and the other took its time and took its toe depending on God's calendar and the appointed time for everybody. So we've all been born dead spiritually. That's what it means that in Adam all die, in Adam all sin. We died when they died spiritually, became into the world spiritually dead as sinners. And uh, that's what needs to be quickened. But at the same time, we come into the world under the curse of death with an appointed time. Paul said it so clearly, I reference it so often. Acts 17 and 26. God hath made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell upon the earth and hath before appointed the times and the bounds of their habitation. So every human being has an appointed tenure of life. A little window of time. And indeed now, since the days of the patriarch and this side of the flood, flood, it is a small window of time, isn't it? Nobody lives into the hundreds of years. Very rarely do people live a hundred years. Okay? And you think about in the length of time there has been and not knowing how much time there will be, it's just a little bit despect our tenure on this earth until we die. Paul said it there at Mars Hill. Job referenced it many, many centuries and years before in the book of Job 14, verse 5, Seeing his days, man's days are determined, the number of his months are with thee. Thou hast appointed his bounds that he cannot pass. Exactly what Paul said to the Athenians. And in verse 14, If a man die, shall he live again? All the days of my appointed time will I wait till my change come. So, not only is death appointed, but the time of our tenure of life 
is appointed. Solomon said there's a time to be born and a time to die. That's been appointed by God for each and every one of us. So that's what death is, isn't it? It's a cessation of life. But the Bible says that after death, there is a thing called judgment. Hebrews 9.27, it's appointed unto man once to die, but after this, the judgment. Okay? And you note there, Hebrews says it's appointed unto man once to die. That might raise the question or objection, well, preacher, what are you talking about a second death when Hebrews says once to die? Well, stay with me and I'll explain that. I hope to, Lord willing. But when it says you're appointed to die once, it's talking about a physical death. A literal physical death. The body dying. When we're talking about the second death, there are four scriptures, all of them in Revelation, that speak about the second death. And when we talk about second death, we're not talking about, just to make sure everybody's on the same page, we're not talking about somebody like Lazarus who died, was dead four days, Christ resurrected him, and so he got to do it all over again sometime at a later date. So in a sense, he died twice. Well, there are exceptions like that. Lazarus was one. Jairus' daughter was one. Uh, the young man that, that Christ healed was one. Some that were healed and raised from the dead in the Old Testament. But that's very rare. The bottom line is, once they finally did die, that was it. There was a finality. They didn't keep dying over and over again. Lazarus wasn't resurrected a half a dozen times and you know all that. It's appointed unto man once to die. And when we die, and Lazarus died finally, the exception being Christ's miracle, he was dead for good. So that's not what we're talking about when we mean second death. Nor are we talking about these modern, what I'm going to call heaven hoaxers, that die and go to heaven and come back and tell us and write books and get on TV about all of that stuff. You know, everything we know about death, Christ told us in the Bible. And I would say refrain from all of that nonsense. That's not what we're talking about in the second death. For a definition of the second death, I don't need to give you one. The Bible gives it to us, so let's just go read it, shall we? Revelation chapter 21 and verses 5 through 8. Revelation 21, 5 through 8. And verse 8 is the scripture we'll get to, but I'm reading 5 through 8 for context. Verse 5, He that sat upon the throne be said, Behold, I make all things new. That was a sermon we preached not too long ago. Okay? He said unto me, Write, for these things, these words are true and faithful. And he said unto me, It is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. He that overcometh shall inherit all things. I will be his God. He shall be my son. And here it is. I said to you in the introduction. Ironically, the Bible ends with death. But the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone. Note, which is the second death. I mean, it couldn't be any more plain. We don't have to research and do a bunch of word studies and try to put a bunch of things together that are only inferred in Scripture to define what the second death is. 
Here John tells us through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that the punishment of unbelievers in the eternal torments of hell and fire and brimstone is the second death. And again, note that irony. Adam and Eve died in Genesis chapter 3, the first death that anybody ever died. And here in Revelation 21, the next to the last chapter of the Bible, it tells us who will die the second death. And notice who they are again. I said a while ago, the unbelieving have a fear of death. Look how it begins. The fearful and unbelieving. That's one and the same. Those things go together. If you're an unbelieving, then you're fearful. Your fear may be plumb out of ignorance or what have you. Or your fear might be that you know what the Bible says and you have a legitimate fear. You should. And I hope that fear gets worse than the salvation of your soul. Not to fear is the most foolish thing in the world. So it lists here different types and descriptions of sinners. And as you read through that, you see these are the people that have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. So, eternal separation from God and eternal punishment is exactly the scriptural definition of the second death. James said in James chapter 2 and verse 26, as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead. He used that description. And that's what death is. Is it not? Physical death is what? If you're going to give a one word definition, you would give separation. That's the biblical definition. Solomon again. A familiar scripture we hear many times at funerals. Chapter 12 of Ecclesiastes and verse 7. When we die, then shall the dust return to the earth as it was, and the Spirit shall return to God who gave it. So in physical death, there is a separation of the person from the body. The body goes back from which it was created. The first man, Adam, was made of the dust of the earth. We go back to that. But the person, that invisible heart, the soul, the spirit, the inner man, the inner person goes back to God who gave it. Meaning that God will do with that soul as it deserves to be dealt with. He will either welcome it into his presence or as we have read in Revelation chapter 21, cast it into the lake of fire which is the second death. So just as physical death is a separation of body and spirit, the second death is an eternal separation of that person's soul from the eternal God in eternal punishment. It couldn't be any plan. That's it. That's what it is. Now the details of that are given to us back in the 20th chapter. If you'll turn back just a little bit with me there. And we'll begin reading at verse 11 where it describes the details of how that comes about. The text in Revelation 21 and verse 8 said that they were all have their part 
in the lake, which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second day. So that's just like the statement of what's going to happen. Now we're going to read the details of how it's going to happen. Revelation 20 and verse 11, And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And then note here, I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their words. Where did these people come from? The sea gave up the dead which were in it. Death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. So again, you put those two together, it tells us it's the same group of people in both places. It is those who are lost, who have remained dead in trespasses and sin, have never repented of sin, have disobeyed or have rejected the gospel of Jesus Christ. They die in their sins. They will be resurrected to a great white throne judgment. They will be eternally separated by God. The penalty will be eternal punishment. There it is. That's the details. It is fulfilled exactly like we are told you. That's the way it will come to pass. The persons upon the whom the second death will come upon are the persons in the two texts we have just read to we have just read them to you. They are unrepentant sinners. Verse 15 leads us into an exception of those who are found in the book of life will not be cast into the lake of fire or experience the second death. Notice what it said. Whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. So in other words, not to experience the second death it is obviously inferred that then your name must be written in the book of life. Which brings us to the next point. Who are those not affected by the second day? And right there it is. First point. Those whose names were in the book of life. Well, whose names are in the book of life? Well, the Bible tells us in Ephesians 1, the words of our Lord also to the 70 when they return that there has been a group of people known as the elect of God, chosen by God the Father, given to God the Son from the foundation of the world, whose names were written in the Lamb's book of life from the foundation of the world. These are those whom Jesus Christ has redeemed. They are the sheep. They are the elect. They are chosen. They are the believers. They are the repentant. And many other things. They are the saints of God. And they will not be affected by the second death in that respect because their names are in the book of life and Christ has redeemed them. This same group of people is spoken of in Revelation chapter 20 where we see the third usage, well actually this is the fourth counting our text, of the word phrase second death. In Revelation 21 through 6, we read, And I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil, and Satan, and bound him a thousand years. 
and cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal upon him that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years shall be fulfilled. And after that he must be loosed a little season. And I saw thrones and they that sat upon them and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God in which had not worshipped the beast neither his image neither had received his mark in their foreheads or in their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. But the rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such the second death hath no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. So here again is those who have not or will not be affected by the second death are those who are part of or make up what is called the first resurrection. Same group of people. The elect of God who have been taken out, raptured out of the world and those who even died in the tribulation. Likewise. Blessed are they because this is the first resurrection. Now, the first resurrection would be meaningless if there was not a second resurrection. And obviously there's a second resurrection in verse 5 before it even says first resurrection because it says the rest of the dead live not again until the thousand years were finished. So there is a first resurrection encompassing those who have been resurrected previous to the thousand year millennial reign of Christ. And they reign with Him a thousand years, verse 6. And then after that, the rest of the dead are going to be raised. Who are they? Where's that? Well, we just read it a moment ago. Down there in verse 13, the sea gave up the dead which were in it. That's the second resurrection. It's a resurrection of unbelievers who are going to be judged at the great white throne judgment and then experience the second death. So, these who are participants in and make up the first resurrection will not experience the second death. Jesus, I think, referred to this also and made it very clear in John's Gospel, chapter 5, verse 28 and 29. He says, Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming in the which all that are in the grave shall hear His voice, and they shall come forth. They that have done good unto the resurrection of life, they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. Now again, everybody's going to be resurrected. That's what verse 28 says. All in the grave are going to one day be called out. Now, many read this and say, well, that's talking about a general resurrection. It doesn't to me. It says a re the resurrection of life and the resurrection of damnation. If it was one resurrection, I believe it would have read the resurrection of life and damnation in that sense. And then when we see over here, this is the first resurrection. Anybody with any common sense, it seems like to me, would think, well, if there's a first, that's implying there's going to be a second. And the rest of the dead live not. Verse 13 shows that to be exactly the case, the second 
resurrection. So, those who are not going to be affected by the second death are again the elect of God, those who it speaks of here as being holy and blessed of God. It says here in the text that we just read, what was it, verse 6, blessed and holy that has part in the first resurrection on such the second death has no power. And power there speaks of authority. Authority to punish, authority to execute penalty for a crime. No death. So this is the elect, holy and blessed. And it even goes further and describes them that they are priests of God and of Christ. And they shall reign with Him a thousand years. So, Revelation chapter 1 and verse 5 tells us that all believers are priests unto God. Uh, verse 5 and 6, I'm going to read the latter part of 5. Unto Him that loved us, washed us from our sins in His own blood, and hath made us kings and priests unto God and His Father, to Him be glory and dominion forever and ever. We don't, we're not going to wait to be priests. We are now kings and priests. It's a state of being. It's a status quo. And Christ made that possible. Okay? So, chapter 20 there in that verse 6 tells us this is who the second death will have no effect on. The elect, the priest of God, the saved, the redeemed, and they will be the same ones who will rule with Christ a thousand years. Our text being the fourth place where second death is mentioned, mentioned specifically there in verse 11, he that overcometh shall not be hurt of the second death. Very similar to what we just looked at. The word overcometh. What is a person that overcomes but an overcomer? And what is an overcomer? Well, that word translates almost every time overcome. A couple of times it's translated conquer. One time prevail. One time get the victory. And when you look at all those put together, it gives you very clear uh, definition, doesn't it? It's what an overcomer is. It's one who is victorious. It's one who has conquered. It is one who has prevailed. And who is that? And how is that achieved? Well, that leaves us all out on our own. But in Christ, we are what? More than conquerors through Him that loved us and washed us in His own blood. Right? And how do we prevail? And how will we one day get the victory? By sustaining grace and the power of the Holy Spirit. So when it talks about he that overcometh, again, we're talking about not an end, again, as an exceptional or different group of people, but the same people. We're talking about the elect of God. Believers, those who are in Christ, have been redeemed in Christ, who have faith in Christ, and literally would be those who persevere in Christ. So when it says he that overcometh, the answer to who will overcome is the people of God who are faithful in life till death who live by faith while they are alive and die in hope of the promise of eternal life. 
And this is simply the overcomers are those who persevere, and that is the saints of God. How do we persevere? Not on our own. Peter tells us very clearly, if you want to turn there and read it as we wrap this up. In 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 5, it identifies us uh, there in ele- as the elect in verse 2, those that believe, and that they are elect according to the foreknowledge of God, sanctification of spirit, obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Christ, which is sanctification. And then in verse 3, begotten us again, born again, unto what? A lively hope. A lively hope, no fear of death, by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To what? An inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. Okay, that's all well and good, and that's all there, and it's all way. What about now? Verse 5. Here's the perseverance of the saints. Who are kept by the power of God. Through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. What is the salvation ready to be revealed in the last time? We're saved now, aren't we? Yes, we are. There is one final part of us that hasn't been redeemed, and that's a body. This body's going to die. Or, if it's here when Christ comes, it will be changed in the moment the twinkling of an eye in a glorified state to a body like the Lord Jesus Christ. The redemption of our body will be the final thing to complete our salvation. We can't go to heaven in this body. We can't be in the presence of God in this body. Even though we've been saved from the penalty of sin and have the imputed righteousness of Christ. But one day we'll put off this body. And we'll put on a new body. In the meantime, our perseverance is not of ourselves. It's through the Holy Spirit that lives within us and the Word of God which feeds and nourishes us and which we seek to obediently apply in our lives. So, overcomers are none other than the saints of God who persevere in whatever manner, be it great or small. Well, let's conclude. We mentioned in the beginning, Ecclesiastes, Solomon saying, there's a time and a season for all things, isn't there? And the sobering reality is, whether you believe it today or not, it's true. And human history to this very moment has proved it to be true. There's a time to be born and a time to die. And we have little to no control over our death any more than we do our birth. The only persons who enter into that realm are those who take their own lives. But even God can and does sometimes overrule that. Say, how so? A lot of suicides have failed, haven't they? They have. God can overrule that if He needs it. A person's not even able to take their own life unless God even allows that to happen. But the bottom line is, the time of our birth, the time of our death is appointed. Think of it in this way. The day that you were born was appointed on God's calendar. Whatever your birthday whatever year that was. Just imagine that God has a divine calendar of all time, which indeed He does. He's omniscient. And when that day rolled around, at the time written down where your name was, you were born. And somewhere in the moments following where I'm now speaking, 
there's a day and a time and an hour where your name and my name is going to come up again, isn't it? And it's going to be the day of death. We didn't know and we don't know yet when we got up this morning that this would be the day of our death. We knew it wouldn't be the day of our birth, obviously. But we did not know if it would be the day of our death. But I want you to think of this. When midnight rolled around last night, just supposing that God's calendar operates on the same 24-hour day that we do, and I believe it does, you know, and that there was such a thing, then when August the 13th started at 12 and a few seconds last night, there's a whole group of names in this 24-hour period that are going to die. It's a point. The minute, the hour, the second. People are dying all the time, aren't they? Every minute, every second. We can't keep up with it. The more we keep up with who's being born. But there's going to be X a number of people that are going to die in this 24-hour period. And if the Lord don't come when the next 24-hour period starts, there's going to be another group of names that are going to die. Births and deaths. Just like a newspaper. Every day you pick it up, you're used to, I guess. I don't know if it's still that way. I suppose it is. That was one of the things in every newspaper that I ever saw growing up was a list of births and deaths. But of course, it was delayed, wasn't it? Well, again, our name is on God's calendar twice. We know when the day of our birth was, but we don't know the day of our death. But it's coming. A time to be born and a time to die. And if any of us have lived very long on this earth, as some of us have and have gray hairs to show it, then we know we know there's not nearly as much sand in the hourglass as there once was. We know we've reached and went beyond that halfway point. We're 60, 70 years of age. And if we're believers, we also know that the only thing that will prevent us dying would be the return of the Lord Jesus Christ while we're alive. That's the only persons that are not going to die. That will be alive and changed when He comes. But from what we've said today, from God's Word, we know that after death, there is a judgment. There is a judgment of sinners. Of those who have died in their sins unrepentant. And it is they who will face the second death. If you are a believer today, you have nothing to fear of the second death. You have only to offer praise to God and thanksgiving that He has delivered you from the wrath to come culminate. Repent today while there's time. You don't have a promise of tomorrow. You don't know but what one grain of sand of your life remains as you hear my voice today. It could be all over in the next second. Somebody could have just died while I was making that statement and went out of this world hearing me and now has no opportunity to repent. It could be you. That's how fragile and short life is just a vapor. So the Bible emphasizes today, repent and believe the gospel and embrace Christ who is the only one who had the power to lay down his life and to take it back again from the grave without any assistance whatsoever. He has the keys of death and hell. He has the power over the grave. And he gives to those who believe in him eternal life and the second death will not hurt them. 
It's a familiar thing to those of you here at our church. You've heard me say it. I don't know. Others may know. First birth, there's such a thing as a new birth or second birth. There's a first death and there's a second death. The bottom line is this. If you're born twice, you only die once. But if you're born only once, you're going to die twice. You must be born again. God bless this to your community.